Welcome back, everybody, to Rogue Opinions. I'm Scott, and we're here looking at New Japan's Dominion show. Basically, they're SummerSlam, if you're not familiar with New Japan. And I don't know if you heard, but Dominion is going to be as good, if not exceed uh, Wrestle Kingdom. No, wait, that's a different show. <laughs> no. It was, a, it was another major stadium show a couple of days before this, but we thought, no, we want to cover something that we'd be entertained by to bypass uh, Jeddah and head straight to Osaka to look at, like I said, this also the second biggest show in New Japan's calendar. And joining me today is the Rainmaker to buy Painmaker. It's Carl. How you doing, man? I'm all right. I'll take that. I wish I could make it rain money. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be, that would be good. Uh, overall, first off, where we start, what were your overall thoughts? Were you excited going into this? I was. Uh, I won't lie. It was definitely um, John Moxley appearing and Jericho against Makada um, that really piqued my interest in this card. But I watched it from start to finish, and it, it's a very enjoyable show. A lot better than anything WWE's put together recently, that's for sure. Yeah, I I would agree on the uh, like my interest was definitely peaked when I heard that uh, Jericho was going to be challenging Okada. But once the cards start to come together, you could see like overall it was going to be an entertaining show. Uh, we had Osprey, where you know he would have get his shot since winning the best of Superjunior on this show. You knew Moxley was going to appear, where there was going to be a rematch with Naito and Ibushi. So. It looked like it was going to be a good card overall and thankfully not a, a one-match show. Definitely. Um, quite quite a few um, decent matches and some, as I've only been watching New Japan for about a year, some wrestlers I haven't really seen much of, like Dragon Lee. I've not really seen a lot of him, but I was very impressed with his match with Osprey, which we'll talk more about when we get to it. But yeah. Very, yeah. uh, very good card. Yeah, and this is one of the last uh, major shows for New Japan before they head into their major tournament, their G1 Climax tournament, which will decide uh, the number one contender for Wrestle Kingdom next year. And there was a few announcements related to that here, but we'll come to each of them as they happened. But we'll jump straight into the show. We had uh, our English commentary team as the team of Kevin Kelly and Don Callis who I think personally are a very good team together. And it's surprising how good Ken Kelly is here because when most people would have seen him back in his like WWE days, he was just really a, a B-level backstage announcer who just, his only job was really to say have the piss taken out of him by the likes of The Rock. Yeah, I remember The Rock taking the Michael out of him. But yeah, he's got, he's got a lot better since those days. Fair play to him. Yeah, him and uh, Kels are really good as a... As an announced team, but the first match was, and it's only only a second match in New Japan. We had Death Rider John Moxley, the new IWGP US Champion, taking on Shoto Yumino, a young boy, and I hope I pronounced his name correctly. I really do try and do my best when I come with some of these names, but yeah, and. As much as he took the fight to Moxley earlier on with Moxley coming through the crowd and, you know, 
uh, diving out to the outside and trying to get the early advantage and getting the odd flurry. It really much was a another showcase for John Moxley. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, it was basically a squash, really. But I think Shoto did what he had to do with the the dive to try and get some sort of advantage on uh, Moxley. But in the end, it didn't really do him a lot of good. Yeah. But uh, before we talk more about uh, what happened here, what were your thoughts on the the Moxley juice match from only a few days before this, the best of Super Juniors final? Yeah, that was a, a brilliant match against Juice Robinson. Um, it just seemed to have so much more vigour than he did uh, in WWE, especially the the latter months of his uh, tenure there. Um, yeah, they put each other through tables and hit, hit each other to the barricades and stuff. Yeah, it was a it was a brutal affair, and uh, wasn't really surprised to see Moxley win. Um, I think New Japan see him as somebody that can draw some eyes to the product, so uh, why not put a title on him straight away? Yeah, it was interesting for me when he won the title because it created some doubt about Jericho later on in that both of them are now kind of under contract with AEW, so if one of them was going to win a belt, would the other win a belt as well and how that would affect the relationship between the two companies? Yeah, agreed. It definitely put a bit more doubt into the into the result of that match. I was certain Okada would win, but then when Moxley went over, that sort of, yeah, put the seeds of doubt in my mind, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did play off uh, just in Moxley's kind of time together back in the WWE's development system back when it was FCW. And I don't know about you, but I think it's just so weird to see Moxley in, like, traditional wrestling gear because as Dean Ambrose, he was always known for coming out in like jeans and being more of a brawler, whereas he's technically still a brawler here, but he's dressed more like a wrestler than he was before. Yeah, he's got like shorts on now, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, not shorts, but like short tights, should I say, but like what Arcada wears, um, but black. Yeah, I always wonder if um, wrestlers find it more difficult to compete when they're wearing jeans or street clothes. Like, Going back to IRS when he wrestled in a tie and a suit, basically, it must it must make it more difficult. Yeah, well, look at Baron Corbin; he's having to wear suit full on suits nowadays to to wrestle. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, like you said Moxley would get a very decisive win. Umino did get like the odd for he got a bridge in German, which I think was the closest he came a to getting a an upset, but. Being a young boy, they're very restricted in their moveset and in terms of the gear, it's just the regular like plain black trunks they get to wear. And it was Moxley's double under it, the Death Rider uh, bites Yumino on his head and Moxley gets a very decisive one before then taking to the mic and announcing that he wanted to be a part of the G1 Climax tournament. Yeah, very interesting announcement. I take it that that means he will be put into the uh, the G1 tournament. And as IWGP United States champion, you would have thought that would uh, be enough to get him in, into the tournament. Yeah, it was interesting because I remember Jericho last year at Dominion won the IC title, but then he disappeared. He was not a part of uh, the tournament. And like you said, uh, while he's still under contract with AEW, they are only having a limited amount of shows, like one a month. 
through the summer before the TV deal starts. So Moxley does have the time he can be a part of the G1 tournament because he's not. I know he's announced for Fighter Fest at the end of June, but uh, as far as I know, there's no plan at the moment for Moxley to be a part of Fight for the Fallen, which is the July show for AEW, and the G1 does take up a lot of July. So I think his schedule is is wide open to be a part of the tournament. Yeah, it'll definitely keep him busy while he's waiting for AEW's TV show and whatever else to go by. I think Jericho had um, tours of his band, didn't he, and his cruise stuff, so that's why he probably didn't compete in the the G1 himself. I'd also be interested to see if Moxley is the US champion by the time All Out happens when his match with Kenny Omega, with Omega being the first ever US champion, that would be interesting if Moxley still had the belt going into that match. Yeah, it will be. I mean, they kept the IC belt on um, Jericho for quite a while, didn't they? Was it yeah. um, Wrestle Kingdom? He finally lost it, wasn't it? So it was a, yeah. a reasonable, a reasonable run with it. Yeah. What do you What do you make of Moxley's new name of Death Rider? It does seem like a very, very new Japan name for like, an outsider. It does, doesn't it? And it's pretty cool and edgy, a bit like. Um, Jay White being the switchblade, that's another sort of edgy sounding name. So they like to go for more sort of very adult sort of themed names and gimmicks, don't they, by the sounds of it, especially for the outside outsider talent. Yeah. And interestingly, he mostly leaves, but he takes Humano with him and kind of helps him to the back. And then there was a backstage segment on uh, YouTube I've seen that basically has featured Moxley deciding that he was going to take Yumino and have Yumino be his, his personal like, young boy. He was going to have him, like, he was maybe going to take him under his wing. He's going to have Yumino carry his bags for him, which is an interesting turn, which is kind of what the young boys in New Japan do. They kind of help them pay their dues. And I've seen some theories where a lot of the young boys take some time away from New Japan to go somewhere internationally and before coming back and having a proper character. It's what the likes of Jay White did Okada did it goes back years in the dojo and some people have wondered if Moxley is still around in a couple of years in New Japan if they have you know go away and then come back in his new character and maybe come back for revenge on Moxley for or for this match and also maybe mistreating him as his young boy yeah I mean they could go anyway they they do take the training very seriously don't they in uh, in Japan it's almost as if it's like a Treated like a proper martial art, you know, with the, as you say, bringing the new young boys in and having them uh, carry the bags and do stuff for the more established stars. And then I think they call it send them out on excursion, don't they, when they yeah. uh, maybe go to the States or Europe to sort of learn learn the trade a bit more. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's created some very good stars, so you can't... Um, sort of say anything against it really. Yeah. Uh, like I said, was basically an enhanced match to kinda of get us started. We move in to Shingo Takagi against uh, Kojima in the next match and Takagi is coming off a loss in the Super Juniors final to Will Osprey and uh, a great match from all accounts. I sadly haven't been had a chance to see it yet, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. Uh, Shingo was undefeated not just in the tournament but his entire run in New Japan since his debut in October 
So this was kind of the first loss for him. And then the commentators gave the reason for this match is Shingo believes the reason Osprey was Osprey has been recently been fighting heavyweights and has more experience fighting heavyweights. So he asked for a heavyweight to fight and Kojima, the commentators, built up all the championships that he's won over the years as kind of a proper test to help Shingo kind of get his win back. But it wasn't really as straightforward. Uh, he beats Kojima to get his win back and easily he did give him a proper fight in this match. Yeah, it was a good match, and uh, you're right about the uh, Osprey match at the Super Juniors. It, it was a it was an awesome match, and was Will Osprey only really won by the skin of his teeth? It was a, you know, a hard fought victory. So uh, they've obviously got a lot a lot of faith in uh, Shingo to, and they want to keep him strong. Definitely, there's even a spot I liked where both men were. Uh, unloading with forwards and they went to the outside and they were constantly hitting each other. They were so focused on hitting each other that they almost forgot about the referee's count where you had the referee basically yell at them that if they didn't get back in, they would, uh, they would be counted out. It was only when they got to 19 because the count is 20 in Japan. When it got to 19, both men realised and immediately had to get back in the ring before they were both counted out, which I thought was an interesting idea. Yeah, it's good. And you find it... I find watching New Japan, they, they do that a lot. They uh, they milk the count, don't they, when they go outside. They, they will will really wait till the last minute before um, jumping in the ring. It also seems uh, from other matches, the titles can actually change hands on count outs as well in uh, New Japan, which I didn't realise until watching this. Yeah, and I actually think they do do it a couple more times in this on this card. I know they do it and the IC title-wise, I think they may do it in one of the other matches, but I did think it was kind of overdone on this show, but the way they did this first one, I thought it was good, and the fact that they were so busy on trying to take each other out, they didn't realise they almost cost each other the match with the count-out spot. Yeah, but uh, they got back in the ring, and it, it was a decent match. Uh, as I say, I don't know a great deal about either competitor, so I'm not going to be able to go in it's a great detail of depth, to be fair, on this one. Yeah. Uh, all I really know of Kojima is really what the commentators were telling about how all the championships he's won, both New Japan, uh, All Japan, and apparently also the, N- N- the NWA. And uh, Shingo, I believe, was mainly known for his time in promotions like Dragon Gate, uh, where he won the, the Open the Dream Gate title four times. He was a the six-man champion six times and a five-time tie champ. One of those dreams coming with current 205 Live wrestler Akira Tozawa. And one of these last appearances, I believe, he was kind of almost sent packing by uh, by Pac when Pac made his return to, to Dragon Gate. And then, obviously, he came here as the newest member of LIJ. Ah, right, so... Yeah, he's got he's got pedigree there, and he he does look a really good wrestler. Yeah, and I believe obviously lineage and Dragon Gate is also the reason behind the nickname the Dragon as well. Ah. And uh, so most of the New, J- New Japan fans or would probably recognise him if they are also familiar with Dragon Gate. And I do think, like I said, I was surprised at how much of a fight Shingo went through in this match because obviously while he was trying to get almost his win back. Having him coming in against a legend like Jim, who is as decorated as a commentator, see, is 
it wouldn't really make much sense for him to come in in, in a squash match. And I think it was it showed Kaysen better by having to go through taking everything that Kojima had and going through the struggle and then eventually being able to beat him. I think it made him look stronger in the end. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he came out. He came out looking a million bucks. Really, uh, he he got the win with uh, his move, the last of the dragon. I think they called it. Yeah, and that gave him the uh, the pinfall. Yeah, a hard fought victory. Yeah, because the last few moments of that were he was trying to get, I believe, the pumping bomber, if I'm pronouncing it right, as his finisher, the uh, the lariat, and he seemingly he couldn't get Kojima to go down. He still had fight left in him, and he kept having to throw it in. Eventually, he got the uh, what looked like a variation on the Burning Hammer or Death Valley Driver. The uh, last of the dragon eventually was able to put him away, and then post match Shingo himself also declared that he wanted to be a part of the G1, saying that while he's been wrestling as a junior, he wants to prove he can. He also wants to prove he can go as a heavyweight, so he wants to be a part of this tournament. And but when you look at the size of someone like Shingo. I think he's almost bordering on the the mid level point where you're almost where he's almost close to transferring over to that heavyweight thing because he does look bigger than your average junior heavyweight. Yeah, he's he's definitely got a bit more size to him than uh, some of the others. I mean, he didn't look a, a million miles away from uh, Kojima's size really when they were squaring up. Yeah, and I think that size is why it helped them go undefeated for so long, especially in the best of super juniors, but. It is nice to see on a show like this that we are seeing, uh, we're almost seeing the, the field kind of like more clearly for the G1 because you know a lot of your bigger stars are almost certainly going to be like, like the Yurikada, your Tanahashi, and that. But then you see because there's usually some lower card or some surprise entrance announced for the G1. Yeah, and if only other promotions treated their. Uh cruiserweights with uh, such respect eh? yeah oh, hopefully but we then go into a tag match because I do like how they laid out this this card for some kind of lower card matches that were you knew were designed to help get particular person in that match over and then you had some tag matches before you get into your key like title matches New Japan kind of likes to almost build on their build on their matches like have some build and then the most important matches come later in the card and at the end the crowd usually are silent at the start but by the by the end they're always loud when fishing the last two matches they were cheering before any of the wrestlers even touched in the last the last few matches yeah i like the way they set out the cards um as you say build like slowly building up to better matches as the show goes along rather than starting off with uh, universal title matches and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it, it can be weird if you're somebody's new to New Japan and like, especially in the early matches on the card where the card are relatively silent, occasionally giving the like, making the, making a bit of noise when they see an impressive move and giving that kind of a round of applause, it can be weird because we're used to seeing uh, hearing crowds, more Western audiences always love chanting uh, when it comes to the main event, they're always loud and they're always chanting even before the wrestlers have even done anything. Yeah, definitely. It took, took me a bit of getting used to um, the difference in the crowd and, and what have you. 
Yeah, I've heard certain wrestlers telling. I remember heard Bret Hart when he used to wrestle in Japan. He hated how silent the crowd would be. But we move into this uh, tag team match is the legend Jushin Thunder Liger along with Yoshihashi uh, taking on Suzuki Gun members Minoru Suzuki and the current Red Pro British Heavyweight Champion Zack Saber Jr. Now there seems to be some issues that have been building across the uh, the recent Saber Jr. tour between Suzuki. And Liger, Liger recently announced he is he's going to be retiring in January at Wrestle Kingdom, and it looks like maybe one of his last matches. Maybe they'll even wait till Wrestle Kingdom to maybe have a match between him and Suzuki, which would yeah. definitely be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a great deal about uh, the history of these two, but the, watching the um, the Super Juniors and then. This show, it definitely seems that the um, Liga and Suzuki are on a collision course to face each other. And yeah, I agree with you. I think Wrestle Kingdom would be um, the the way to go. Perhaps uh, Liga putting Suzuki over as he bows out if they do if they do the same sort of thing they do in America, where the the, the guy retiring or or leaving is the one that does the job. But can you imagine uh, two fifty-plus-year-olds that can still go? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, and hope, uh, as much as you love Liger, hopefully he he's showing that he can still go at a high level. So hopefully, if he says he's retiring, he stays retired, unlike some other people. Yeah, I, I think he probably will at his age, but uh, yeah. you just never know him wrestling. But I think um, to be fair to wrestlers like Goldberg and. Undertaker, the sm- smaller stature guys and, and their sort of style, it does help them have that longevity. Yeah, and I I don't know, like, I don't think there's much of a history between Suzuki and Liger other than what they've been building because Liger is most famous as one of the better junior heavyweights in New Japan. He has the most reigns with the junior heavyweight title with 11, and I think he's, I think he has gone with heavyweights in the past. The I've heard rumours that he may be also in the G1, which would be interesting before he retires the to compete in the G1. And uh, there's also been a story developing with Yoshihashi and Zack Sabre Jr. in that uh, Yoshihashi is kind of... He's kind of like one of these lower members of the Chaos faction where he doesn't always get a win, but he always occasionally gets an opportunity. And he has challenged Zack Sabre Jr. for a match for his, junior, for his British Heavyweight Championship, which... That James Jr. kind of laughed off the idea of him having to put the belt on the line against someone like Yoshihashi. I must admit, I've, I saw him at last year's G1, and he is someone I do struggle to take seriously, to be honest. He, uh, I think he only won a couple of matches in, in the G1. He, he, he seemed to get beat reasonably easy in most of his, most of his bouts. Yeah, and I still can't figure out what, what the purpose of that staff is that he brought out either. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really get his gimmick or or anything about him really, and he sort of always has this sort of sort of kind of puzzled look on his face, almost like he doesn't really want to be there. Yeah, uh, but uh, but Yoshi's role in this match was to basically be the one that gets isolated before Liger got the hot tag, and weirdly, at even one point, Liger comes in and basically kicked his partner and basically saying like. One, get your head in the game. One, you need to get, you need to get, you need to tag me in. Yeah, I laughed at that. That was a funny spot that he was trying to g his partner up. 
yeah, but as much as like can I go off that the idea of of defending his title against Yoshi, Yoshi did get a surprise roll up on site, which really upset him and Suzuki. So it kind of maybe one of these cases where it look he's trying to cause some doubt in that Zach maybe doesn't take Yoshi seriously, but and kind of they want to hopefully showcase that while he doesn't always get a win, Yoshi is still a, a competitor to be taken seriously. Yeah, I think David Jr. is going to have to take him seriously now after that pin. It was a sort of pinning predicament that you would sort of expect uh, Zack Sabre Jr. to pull out, to be honest. It was uh, quite a clever little move. Yeah, definitely. And I can see Zack being in the G1 as well. He's been featured quite prominently in a lot of the major tournaments the last couple of years, Zaki winning the New Japan Cup last year. Yeah, he did well. I think he, I think he tied on twelve as the as the runner up. I think there's about, if I can remember correctly, I think three or four sort of tied on about twelve in in the block he was in. All right, and so I hope look forward to seeing where the story between uh, Liger and Suzuki goes, and actually, and see what we're doing if if they all four of these men happen to be in the G1 then they happen to be in the same block, then we can see what happens. But we'll move into the next match. It's a six-man tag team match with Hiroshi Tanahashi, Just Robinson and Taguchi versus uh, Bullet Club represented by Jay White, Chase Owens and the Bone Soldier Taiji Ishimori. And I don't think there's much to say about this as a match, but there's, uh, they did go into a lot about how the history between White and Tanahashi, about how back in February, White took the IWGP title from Tanahashi before also dropping it to Okada in Madison Square Garden. Then White got another win during the Super Junior Store over Tanahashi. So I think they're kind of teasing the idea that maybe there's some unfinished business in that while Tanahashi beat White in one of White's first matches when he came back from excursion, White's maybe got the number of Tanahashi. Yeah, um, I saw that match, or part of the match um, with the Super Juniors, and it was pretty decent. Uh, Jay White sort of worked on uh, Tanahashi's arm, which they were talking about during this match as well, and his injuries to his, well, his, his good arm, and he sort of used that to leverage him into a pin to get the win in the, the Super Juniors match. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Taguchi constantly going for the hip attack, which I still maintain is one of the worst moves in wrestling because it makes no sense and has really little any of any effect. And really, it's not even your hip, you're hitting somebody with. But there were a couple of good counters where one where he got caught in an atomic drop by the Bone Soldier, and then another time Chase Owens seen it coming and just casually walked to the side and just avoided it. Yeah, he's a. It's a funny one that uh, what's it Taguchi? That's it. I've not really seen him wrestle before, and he he came out in that sort of bit of like a rugby gear sort of thing. Because I think aren't they hosting the Rugby World Cup or something soon? Yeah, uh, Japan. But yeah, so. he's he's another one I can't really take seriously. But I know Tanahashi is one of my favourites. Um, Jay White, I think he's pretty good. He's one of my favourite. Ishimori's good. Chase Owens, he always he's he's sort of um, 
Uh, we I'd sort of see as a lower mid carder at this yeah. point, and also I suppose we need to bring up the fact that Jesus cut off his uh, infamous locks, hasn't he? No longer got his dreads, which yeah. is also the case at uh, the Super Genius match against Moxley as well. A bit more of a serious look for him. Yeah, very much so. Uh, apparently, just wanted to cut the dreads when he came to Japan, but the people at the dojo basically said to him that it's what made him unique and what made him stand out. The fact that he had dreadlocks, but and then they had the big reveal when he came out and took his kind of hat off at the Super Juniors that he cut his hair. Much to the surprise of the crowd, you could tell they weren't expecting to see that. And I think it's him kind of he used to have the dreadlocks while he was in NXT with Moxley. So maybe it's just him trying to get rid of the dreads, kind of leaving the the idea of CJ Parker behind and Philly being just Robinson. Yeah, I think they were right to make him keep the dreadlocks because it was a different look and it did help him stand out and create a bit of a character. But uh, I can see why he wanted to get rid of them as well. So, yeah, yeah, he can uh, sort of step up now as a more serious uh, looking and feeling competitor. Yeah, and I, I give you some pictures of being kind of a worker because you can tell in most of the fashions there are people like Chase that are very talented, but their main role in like multi-man match like this is they're kind of the ones to take the fall which is kind of a shame because I think that means that leads to people like Chase being very underrated and Chase was the man to take the fall in this with Tanahashi despite they kept playing up the idea that he's been suffering with some injuries uh, getting the most kind of a net breaker type move and uh, getting the pin Yeah, different move, it sort of reminded me of a, a move Big Show used back in his early days. So I think he called it the final cut or something. It was sort of similar to that, if you remember that. Yeah, vaguely. And I think they said like he couldn't use some of his elements like the, the sling blade due to his injury, so he was kind of forced to pull out something different. Yeah, if he's in the G1, it'll be interesting to see how he fares in that, if he's uh, going to be selling his injuries and uh, maybe wrestling a slightly different style. Yeah, possibly. And... Uh, Tanahashi, we would see him later on in the night. He would uh, join the Japanese commentary team, but uh, we'll come back to that yeah. later on. But uh, from here on out, it would be all title matches. We had five different championships on the line. We had first the Never Open Weight Championship, where the champion Taishi was defending against Tomohiro Ishii. And Ishii's a multiple time uh, Never Open Weight Champion. and Taishi was in his, I believe, second reign, having defeated Jeff Cobb back at Wrestling Dontaku. And it's a weird thing with the Never Open Weight belt. It seems to be the belt that changes hands most often in New Japan, whereas some of the other belts, like like even like the Cornell US and the Heavyweight, like they seem to, when people win those, they tend to hold on to them for a while. But uh, it's very rare to have a long, multiple month reign with the Never Tail, especially since when. Jeff Cobb won it. He'd won it in a big like title for title match in MSG against against Wellspin. It seems like Cobb was going to be spending more time in Japan and defending that belt before he lost it to Taishi. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a massive amount about the Open Neverweight Championship, but um, yeah, I did pick up on the commentator saying if Ishii was to win this time, it'd be. Uh, 
the most winning then of the title of all time. So he yeah. had plenty to fight for. He's someone I watched in um, last year's G1 in a couple of matches. As she's, um, he's a, he's very hard, isn't he? He's a yeah, he's a big big set dude. Yeah, the, some uh, really hard chops and uh, offense. Yeah, the Stone Pitbull is his nickname, and he, he certainly lives up uh, to that nickname. And it does seem like the Never Belt has reigns with it. Seem to be kind of a well, almost like he is. He's always been put in a kind of title. He's been put in world title matches before, but it's almost been kind of placeholder matches for the champion. He's on to somebody else, so he's never. It's a shame that he's never been kind of had a chance to be of a top guy. Is in Japan and in New Japan that is, but he has had kind of these never reigns and the the never belt seems to have taken on the role of the belt for the harder hitting guys like Suzuki held it, uh, Shibata held it, and Goto held it as well. So it seems to be four guys like him that are kind of the hard hitters that hold that title. Yeah, so it's a surprise to see someone like Tachi with it. He's someone I've only seen a couple of times before, but um, I do like his gimmick. At first, I thought it was a bit of a, a joke character, but after seeing him wrestle a couple of times, he's, he is actually really good, to be fair to him. Um, he is someone I, I quite like, despite myself. Yeah, he, uh, it's really hard to know what his character really was when I first see him, like, he comes up with that microphone and his eyes, his eyes wide shut, style mask, and the weird leather pants that he throws off mid-match. Yeah, like, like a stripper. <laughs> yeah, oh, the second second best stripper pants in wrestling behind when Cesaro used to come out in the suit. Yeah, but, he has yeah. that. Um, he has that ballet as well, doesn't he? That sort of moons moons after him. Yeah, and they did pull up the. Uh, He's faced Ishii before back in the New Japan Cup. It seems to be when it was when he's against Ishii, you see a more serious side of him come out, and that's what people then want to see. And I think it really helped this match because I enjoyed this match a lot more than I thought. Uh, we had Taiji constantly going for the head kick to kind of take Ishii down and kind of knock him off balance, and Ishii was giving it back as good as he was getting. Like he went for the sliding clothesline. Taishi was able to move, and then he hit one of his own. Like he was gonna, almost looked like he was gonna beat Ishii with one of his signature, his signature moves. But in the end, it was uh, Ishii that would come out on top. He tried the power bomb, followed by the clothesline. The Taishi was able to kick out, but uh, quickly followed up with a brain buster, and that would be Ishii's fifth never open weight championship that he's won here. Yeah, it was a good match, exciting. I mean, Tachi did a lot better than I thought he was going to do against this. He really, as you say, he gave as good as he got and put in some really good hard kicks at times as well, I thought. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I think Ishii going over was probably the, the right call in the end. Yeah, uh, I felt like it could have been this one of the more predictable matches like in terms of what the result was going to be. But uh, I think given that Taishi was more serious than he had been before, they did a good job of thinking that maybe Taishi would get almost an upset and uh, he would hold on to the title. But that was not to be in this occasion. The, uh, they do make a big deal in New Japan about the uh, the junior belts and the heavyweight belts, but uh, 
recently they never felt being given the open weight uh, nature. Uh, they've kind of been using this recently, like when Osprey held it before going back into the Super Juniors, where it's kind of almost that they can kind of be using it now as a testing ground for like someone who's about to transfer from uh, heavyweight to junior to kind of give them in the test and how they fare like going against the heavyweight. Yeah, it's a good crux, isn't it, to to have a heavyweight against uh, a junior junior weight and and see how they get get on against each other. It's uh, it's an interesting title. Yeah, definitely could say you had uh, Kota Ibushi holding it here. Used to be a junior, is now fully uh, in the heavyweight division. Then you had Osprey, who's still in between the two, and they had um, a early match of the year candidate for the belt. So you know. I think it can only do good things out of like giving new people like opportunities if they're wanting to to move up in the division. Yeah, and another thing I'd like to point out is New Japan have a lot of titles, probably more than, or as, if not more, as many as WWE. But all the titles seem to feel important in uh, New Japan, and yeah, in WWE a lot of titles feel like um, props basically at times. It's uh, it's amazing the you know the booking of the matches and the belts. So they all feel so important, even though there's so many of them. Yeah, in like I said, the junior title and the tag titles they have their role as well as the others. Like we said, with the role of the the never title, and also the the role of the heavyweight title kind of speaks for itself. But it only seems to be the Intercontinental and US belt that seem to be without a role because the Intercontinental. US belt is brought in, and while it's already got like a, a really good lineage now, only being a couple of years in, with the likes of Omega, just Jay White, Cody have all held it, and now Moxley's got it. But it seems to be that the US belt kind of performs the same function as what the IC belt's been doing for the last like, five or so years. Yeah, I don't know whether they really do need both the uh, Intercontinental belt and the US title. That's probably created, I imagine, to appeal more to the to the Western audience as they're trying to grow their fan base over there. And Juice had a pretty good run with it, didn't he, I think? Yeah, I think Juice is the only uh, the only two-time holder of the belt, and it does seem to have been all non-Japanese wrestlers that have held it. So having said that, it kind of almost performs a similar role to the IC. I think it's more for, like you said, helping their kind of expansion outside and growing fans outside of Japan and by putting it on more... Uh, Western wrestlers, then they can hope that can hopefully help them make, distinguish it from the Intercontinental title. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice looking belt as well. They're all they're all quite nice looking belts actually. The IWGP titles. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, there's like eight different titles at last I checked. Because uh, you also got the Never Six Man titles. They weren't really featured. So you had Toguchi as one of the champions. I cannot. I can't even remember who his two partners are. But, like I said, it's good to have that distinction between all of them. Otherwise, you get to a point, like you said, with some of WWE's belts where they don't really matter as much. No, especially when you're defending uh, the WWE title in mid-card positions more often than not. That doesn't help. doesn't help things either. No, definitely not. But we move into our, our second title match. It is the Gorillas of Destiny. Uh, Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa representing Bullet Club uh, defending the IWGP tag team titles against 
LIJ members, Evil and Sanada, and we see that the Gorillas also are the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions winning a, a four-way for both belts back at Madison Square Garden, although they don't seem to be too as keen on the Ring of Honor titles as the individual of Tamatonga basically launching one of the Ring of Honor belts and he'd clattering off a wall. They just they just have them basically for the sake of proving that they're the best tag team and they came out with uh, Jado as almost their heater. He came out with the, the Kendo stick and always tried to make his cell useful at any turn hitting the uh, likes of Evil in the back with the Kendo stick when when they had the referee distracted. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with uh, the guy with the Kendo stick, to be honest, but I know Evil and Sonada, they were they both did pretty well in uh, last year's G1, and they're a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Tamatanga's character. I don't really rate him that highly as a wrestler, though, nor, nor his brother, to be fair. And this, this match wasn't... Terrible, but it, it didn't really set my world alight either, to be to be honest. Yeah, uh, I can see what you mean. Yeah, I actually thought it would be a bit more than it was because, well, the uh, the finish, as we'll get to, comes out of almost nowhere. I think it was meant to, but at the same time, it felt like Evil and Sonata had kind of had the evil been worked on for quite a lot of the match, and it felt like Evil and Sonata were only just starting their, their comeback before the finish happened. So I think they could have done a bit more before they went into the finish. Yeah, wasn't it? Was it someone called Bushi came out and uh, yeah. sprayed the black mist into um, yeah, the kind of uh, kick? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Bushi, uh, the other member of LIG. He's kind of been the one that's kind of more so lost in the shuffle a bit because uh, although we, we know what Shingo is doing, we had. Uh, Naito earlier on the show and Evil and are an established team but like and we had Takahashi's out injured but it seems to be Bushi recently since he and uh, Shingo's top team in the junior tag division he seems to be the one that's kind of lost but he came out to stop uh, Jado from interfering uh, spraying the black mist in his face yeah not like a, <laughs> made a right mess of him and um, then Evil Sonata went to hit the magic killer, but uh, it didn't quite go to plan. And uh, Tamatonga was able to yeah. I forget which one he rolled up. He rolled one of them up by yeah. grabbing the tights, didn't he? Yeah, he was able to. I think it was Evil that lifted him up, but he was able to kick off uh, Sonata and roll through into a roll up. And you can see just kind of off camera. Uh, Tongalo is kind of grabbing on Isanada to stop him from uh, breaking off and also the referee's in position to count the shoulders that he doesn't see that Tonga has uh, has the tights so the, the bad good guy or whatever he calls himself yeah he was gets, the, uh, gets the victory yeah definitely and uh, they did say back to the girls definitely that they wanted uh, some new blood because they're going to be Given the Briscoes another shot at the Ring of Order belts, so they're basically saying they want some some new teams to help, some new teams to uh, step up, and I think that'd be a, definitely a good idea because as good as the uh, matches they've had in the past with Evil Sad, I don't think this is one of their their best ones. So I think it's a kind of a case of we, they need something new for the tag team titles. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it'd be new, but there are rumours that um, the Good Brothers might be going back to Japan, even if it's not on a permanent basis, but it looks like they're heading out of WWE when their contracts expire anyway. Yeah, uh, it could be interesting. Uh, I do believe, I think I heard rumours that they may be on a contract until 2020, so I don't know what they do until then. And they made a point when uh, I went for the Magic Killer that uh, the grill is being a part of Bullet Club had almost been handed down that move from uh, uh, the Good Brothers, and they were annoyed that Evil Sound had basically stolen that move. Yeah, yeah, I remember that callback. So it's nice that they met, they still mention guys like WWE tries not to to mention other promotions or wrestlers that have left or anything. So it's nice that they actually make callbacks to to these things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, I hope they have some uh, new challenges for the Gorillas soon, but I think it's fair to say, as much as we weren't maybe as keen on that, that tag match, uh, the next three matches, I think, were each have their own uh, have their own reasons for being considered matches of the night. Yeah, definitely. They're all, all very good. Uh, and before those three matches, we had a, a bit of a surprise, didn't we? Oh yeah, I almost um, forgot it was Shibata came, came out and um, came about halfway down the ramp and and pointed towards the entrance and this, that went out for about a minute. We're wondering who's he pointing at? Who's who's um, who's coming out? And it was uh, Kenta of all people. Yeah, was... in a t-shirt that said Takeover, which uh, made me chuckle to myself. Yeah, definitely. I uh, almost forgot that that's where it was. I was waiting to the point to show that uh, came up. I almost forgot that it happened after the uh, happened after the tag match. But yeah, Shabata comes out, which was a surprise because Shabata has been kind of since been forced out of in-ring competition since his unfortunate injury a few years ago. He's been working on the uh, the new newly opened uh, US dojo for New Japan, but he came out and. It's almost a case where one of the commentators and like only some of the fans kind of seen Kenny when he first came out, but as he got closer to Shabbat, you heard the reaction as more people noticed that who it was that was that was coming out, and which was a a big surprise because especially because uh, when it comes to Kenny's time in Japan, he's more known for uh, one of the competitors to New Japan Pro Wrestling Noah rather than being in New Japan. So I think that's even more of a surprise that. I think a lot of people would have assumed that he would have, when he went back he would, to Japan, he would have went to back to Noah, like how Pat returned to Dragon Gate, but uh, instead he comes here to New Japan. Yeah, I saw a lot of chatter on, on Twitter, some people complaining that he's uh, gone to New Japan instead of Noah, but um, I think New Japan is the bigger promotion at the moment, so uh, I think that's where you'd want to go, really, isn't it? Yeah, I know, like, when Pac-Man was kind of a lot of things, but maybe in uh, Kent as many he's kind of done everything he, he can do there, so maybe he said he, he said he wanted to show his style of pro wrestling and he's going to do that by competing in the G1 Climax. Yeah, I mean, the G1's already shaping up to be a, a fair tournament with the uh, with Moxley likely to be in there. Um, Shingo and and now Kenta. I mean, it's going to be yeah. a fun tournament. Yeah, uh, it's, like I said, definitely a, a surprise to see because I knew Kenta had, had left WWE back in early, around about the January time. But 
I'll most like we're going. I just assume they'd maybe gone back to to Nolan. I, I don't really keep up with Noah. I hadn't heard anything, but I don't know if there was any like he had to sit out for a certain amount of time before making his return. But I look forward to seeing what he does in the Japan and uh, the G1 climax and who he gets matched up with. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, who are in the blocks and uh, the matches we'll get to see. Yeah, definitely, but. As I said, each of these matches all had uh, contenders for match of the night. We had Will Ospreay uh, as a result of winning the best of Super Juniors, getting his uh, shot against uh, the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Dragon Lee, who is uh, more recognisable for wrestling in the Frozen like CMLL down in Mexico. And uh, he beat uh, Taiji Shimori and Bandido in a three-way back at uh, MSG to become the uh, to become the IWG Junior Heavyweight Champion and almost in tribute to uh, the Takahashi who uh, he'd been in a feud with and it was in a match against Takahashi for the title uh, it was almost dragging the act uh, at a move that he kind of draw, drives uh, I'm, not, well, I'm trying not to make it sound like I'm blaming because it was a move involving Dragon Lee, but it was definitely a, an unfortunate accident where in a match with Dragon Lee Takashi, Takashi injured his neck and has unfortunately not been able to wrestle since and was then forced to vacate the, uh, the Junior Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about that. It's a, a nasty incident. Yeah, definitely. And you look at the move. Like it, it just seemed like there was so much risk involved in that move. It didn't seem like a move they really needed to do, and it was kind of unfortunate because people were worried. Like, will Takashi wrestle again? And he's only he was only 26 years old when that incident uh, happened. So, which makes it even kind of sadder if he isn't able to come back. Being still being fairly young and early on in his career. Yeah, well, to someone like me, that's very young. So. Uh... Do hope he can make a recovery, but yeah, it's uh, always dicey when it's uh, your neck, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, and even if uh, someone is able to come back for a neck injury, it's always the case. Uh, like, are they going to be the same as they were? Are they going to go the same way that they did before they left? Yeah, I mean, look at look at poor Paige. I mean, she thought she was clear to wrestle, and it was only a. Uh, and a nothing bit of a kick, really, that uh, nearly did her in again. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we do hope that Taka uh, actually can come back soon. And it's almost like since then, since Dragon Lee's become the junior champion, he's kind of almost been doing it in an almost tribute to to Takashi. And uh, even last year at Dominion, it was Osprey who lost to Takashi after Takashi won. The best of Super Juniors and the Osprey almost said to Dragon Lee, let's do this for him. There was a there was a couple of crazy spots in this match, to be honest. There was yeah. one when um, Dragon Lee sort of perched um, Osprey onto the barricade and then he did a Tope Super Cena through the ropes, launching him and Osprey off the barricade onto the, the tables on the other side, onto the... Uh, Japanese commentary team. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a unique spot. I don't think I'd, I'd seen anything like it before, and it was kind of unfortunate that one of the commentators got taken out and 
in this couple. Yeah, it was. I've never seen anything quite like that as well. And another another spot that stood out to me a bit later on was uh, when Dragon Lee did a double stomp to the outside as well, and he he landed quite awkwardly as well. He's lucky he didn't break an ankle or a, a leg with that move, really. Yeah, Sonja did point out the way he landed that he quite could have easily uh, injured himself, but it was very like fast paced. So like they do that sequence where they're constantly avoiding each other's moves and they do the kind of the the double kick up spot and the audience applauds the uh, the athleticism. A cool move was uh, Dragon Lee did a thing where opponents stand on the apron, he leaps over and Hurricane runs them to the outside, but uh, Osprey managed to take that but land on his feet and he just managed to see the Kevin Kelly and Don Callis' like bewildered reaction to Osprey being able to land on his feet and almost Dragon Lee slowly turned around engaging the audience reaction and learning that Osprey actually landed on his feet from that move. Yeah, that was uh, an amazing move. That was, to be fair, to land on his feet like that. Both, both of these competitors are amazing athletes. They really are. Then there was a really cool spot where Dragon Lee does a Hurricane Rana while his opponent is on the outside. He kind of leaps over the the top rope and hits the Hurricane Rana to the outside. But Osprey was able to land on his feet, and from the camera angle, you could see the uh, shocked reaction t- from. Uh, Kevin Kelly and Don Calzo, like, how was he able to do that? And and slowly, Dragon Lee turns around and he's able to give him the crowd reaction and the shock in his face that Osprey was able to land on his feet from that move. Yeah, it was uh, it was an awesome spot for him just to land on his feet like that. I mean, both guys are just super athletes. It was they're so quick and they've got so many sort of high flying and high risk manoeuvres. And uh, yeah, that was just another brilliant spot. Yeah, uh, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that uh, Osprey recently a lot, he's gotten a lot bigger, kind of sideways because he's had he's been training a wrestle with heavyweights as well as junior. Like I said, he had that brief never open weight title reign, so he's kind of more muscle, kind of in the top half. He's but he's not obviously still not the biggest guy, and he can still pull out a lot of the same athletic moves he was always able to do. I just noticed a uh, change in size. Yeah, I mean, I saw him a little bit when he was doing World of Sport on ITV, and he definitely looks like he's bulked up a bit since then. Yeah, uh, especially since he's been uh, hitting that move, the, uh, the Stormbreaker, the kind of double underhook uh, spinning move. Uh, he was able to do that move to like the Jeff Cobb bit, which is definitely known me because if you've seen Jeff Cobb and Will Osprey, you know there's definitely... A lot of difference there, size-wise. Yeah, no, I'm not too familiar with Jeff Cobb, if I'm perfectly honest. So uh, I can't really st- uh, state an opinion on that one, unfortunately. But yeah. it's also worth mentioning after the Super Juniors, uh, Will Ospreay announced that he'd be moving in, moving to Japan and uh, competing with New Japan on a more permanent basis. Yeah, he, uh, he did say he thinks that he's done all he can in the UK, so uh, he's wanting to move to Japan because he feels that this is where he's needed right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think his girlfriend uh, B Priestley's doing the same thing as well, isn't she? With is it Stardom? She's yeah, she's competing that. Yeah, I believe they recently, Stardom recently put their their main belt on her, yes. so she's obviously going to be having to spend more time here. So it's good that they can obviously spend more time together, and also they're they're doing what they both love. Yeah, that, 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 it's, it's really important because a lot, 
a lot of guys uh, in this sort of business they, they find it hard to be together if they're not in the same promotion on mm-hmm. and what have you. Yeah, the uh, travel can really really affect your relationship, even if you are both uh, wrestlers. But hopefully, that's and feel that that is part of the reason behind it, knowing that they're both making being uh, picked a lot more in Japan that they feel that they can really help if they both are moving there on a more permanent basis but in the uh, the end of this match I did feel like Osprey was kind of throwing everything he had to to beat Dragon Lee uh, he had the kick to the back of the head the, the head and blade elbow to the back of the head the uh, super Oscar where he went to the top rather than springing off the middle rope to hit it and then holds onto the neck and then hits the Stormbreaker and you pretty much know that was going to be it and this is I believe the third time Osprey has won the uh, the Junior Heavyweight Championship. Yeah, it was a good finish to the match. Uh, as you say, Osprey really had to throw everything he had to put Dragon Lee away. It was a, it was a superb matchup, really was. Yeah, definitely, and especially given that how uh, Osprey only been a few days removed from that Super Juniors final against Shingo, he could still go out there and put on a performance like this as a testament to his endurance yeah because that was a that was a fair match I think it went a good half hour and it was only a few days ago so yeah they've got uh, definitely in great condition these guys yeah especially also that Super Junior match is the end of a long tournament where basically much like the G1 it's kind of a test of like it's not a race it's a it's a, mad, a sprint it's a marathon is the old expression so yeah and all those matches at such a high level it will eventually the effects will catch up to a lot of wrestlers yeah definitely um, it's, it takes a lot of cardiovascular conditioning I would say to be able to compete like they do in uh, New Japan yeah definitely and Osprey was not shy about his next challenger he made the challenge to Robbie Eagles for Southern Showdown not to be confused with the Super Showdown <laughs> uh, which I'd, I, I didn't realise was uh, happening. Apparently, it's going to be in Australia at the end of June. And Robbie was being from uh, Australia, and also one of only two people to have actually beaten Osprey in his block in the Super Juniors, him and uh, fellow club member El Fantasmo. So uh, I think Osprey feels like he's got some unfinished business with with the Eagles. Yeah. Uh... I'm, I'm not. I don't think I've really seen Eagles, but he sounds like a a good competitor, and it should be a fun match. And it does look like um, New Japan are getting behind Osprey and uh, giving yeah. him a big push. You know, having him win the Super Junior Tournament and then the, then the title so soon afterwards. Yeah, I think Osprey has said that while he he's not shy about being a junior heavyweight, he still wants to make that transition. So. I think again, like we said, him moving there full time, he feels like if he's going to be like taken seriously as a competitor in New Japan, both as a junior and as a heavyweight, he needs to spend as much time there as he can. Yeah, um, maybe we'll see him in the the G one at some point as well. Whether he'll be in this year, so I don't know, but hopefully in in the future, in future ones, he'll uh, compete. Hopefully, and I looked up the uh, the Southern Showdown there. Uh, it does seem like a decent card. There are quite a few tag matches. Uh, one of the uh, top matches, I believe, is going to be, I think it's Tanashi and Okada team together against uh, Jay White and Bad Luck Valley. 
and also Rocky Romero against El Fantasmo. And also now this uh, junior heavyweight match of uh, the hometown guy, Robbie Eagles versus Will Osprey. Yeah, I mean, I'm more familiar with Rocky Romero as a commentator because he uh, commentated for English commentary on last year's G1, and I thought he was a great commentator. And I've, but I've heard rave reviews about some of his matches in the, the Super Juniors, so he's obviously yeah. quite a competitor as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, El Fantasma match has been billed as a, as a Super Juniors rematch, so it should be very good. But we move into the semi-main event, which is for the IWGP Intercontinental title, uh, between two men who are very much familiar with each other in this match in particular, the rematch from their Intercontinental title match at Madison Square Garden. And I feel like I brought that up a lot, but it does kind of tie into all the stuff that's happening here, where uh, Ibushi defeated Naito to become the Intercontinental champion. And uh, it meant, they mentioned on commentary that Ibushi wanted to look to former Intercontinental champions like Tanahashi and particularly Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, who ironically Ibushi has challenged in the past for the IC title, uh, but was unsuccessful. Uh, I remember watching the uh, match between him and Shinsuke. It was at Wrestle Kingdom 9. Yeah, uh, I've seen and, that in retrospect. And it, it's a cracking match, that one. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, these two have faced each other quite a, a lot. And it's almost kind of nerve-wracking because... Like you can almost take a shot every time a bushy was dropped on his neck in this match, especially that very sickening bump that I'd seen gift even before I'd watched this match. The uh, the German suplex off the apron was, and it's about the only part of uh, a head hits the uh, the very edge of the ring apron. Yeah, it was. It, it looked it looked horrendous. It really did. His his neck went uh, very. Weird angle. He was lucky he didn't break his neck on that one. I think it's a move that they shouldn't do in the future, to be honest. I think it's just too dangerous. Yeah, like people like me jokes about how often we're reminded of how it's the hardest part of the ring, the, the ring apron. But when it comes to like being dropped on your, your neck on that, that, then there's really no joking about it. Like we forgot to mention that it does some, well, not as dangerous, but a similar like spot earlier on with Shingo, where I believe he had. Uh, Death Valley driver on the on the ring apron. It didn't look as bad as this, but still a a very risky move to be doing on that part of the ring. Yeah, there was a, another move um, where Abushi before that, where Abushi did like a a dragon screw to the outside onto NATO, and it it looked like he caught his head on the the ring apron on the descent on on that one. Yeah, like it, it's bad enough that they did that spot like, on the ring apron, but. Uh, the, the fact that after that, Ibushi then took a few more spots that caused him to go into, like, he took a spike, uh, reverse spiked Rana on top of his head, and then, like, the way he lands off some of the Destino uh, from Naito, the way he just, like, especially the last one, he basically does a full flip rotation, like, on the back of his neck almost when he hits the third and final one. Yeah, I know, it's like a, a wrestling trope to uh, work on a weakened body part but after you know seeing that um, German on the outside and seeing it in slow-mo it was, it was uncomfortable viewing to say the least 
Yeah, but uh, obviously that is highlight some of the uncurrent most of the spot, especially off the apron. It shouldn't really take away that this was uh, a really good match with Naito kind of playing the heel to start off with, but then weirdly by the end, uh, the crowd were actually on his side. They were very loudly chanting for Naito. Yeah, it was very mixed. He did get booed at times, and then, as you say, as the match drew to the end, they, they were firmly behind him. It's... Uh... He's got quite a funny relationship with the fans by the looks of it. Yeah, especially in Osaka because they mentioned that when uh, Naito was a face, it was uh, it was quite bland. But it was and it was Osaka that was the first crowd to kind of turn on him. And then when he came back after a while as this new Lig persona that he is now, it was the uh, Osaka fans that were the first to kind of embrace him as this new character. So. He does have a strange relationship with this particular crowd, and he was kind of testing them at start with playing the clear heel. Like he was spitting at Ibushi at one point, he slapped him in the head while he was down. But then, weirdly enough, I think because of some of the spots, they had the somehow managed to win them over. Yeah, um, it is a it is a problem you see a lot in WWE that faces can be a bit bland and wrestlers do seem to to get over better when they have a run as a heel don't they and they're allowed to express themselves a bit more i suppose as a as a heel yeah definitely and i was kind of unsure about how this match was was going to go because uh both men seem to be like favorites whenever the g1 kind of comes around and naito especially talked about well he doesn't he actually he doesn't care whenever he has a title he then recently said he wants to hold the Intercontinental and the heavyweight title at the same time. So he had to get through, obviously, appreciate you get one. But I don't know about you, but it was a, the third Destino that he had, and that was eventually what put him away. But it was the thing with, like, only in the latter matches on the card of uh, New Japan show, they're so filled with, like, finisher kickouts that I, I, even when he had the third one, I still didn't believe that Bushi was going to stay down. I thought he was, I actually thought he was going to kick out. <laughs> Yeah, it does seem to be a trend these days. Um, see that a bit in uh, the AEW stuff. NXT have been doing it a fair bit, and so and New Japan are known for it. Well, yeah, they they tend to kick out of a lot of finishes, don't they? Yeah. And if someone does get put away by maybe the first finisher, it is a bit of a shock to the system, then. Yeah. Definitely, like especially even though it was like there were three, finishes, but there were a lot of near spots towards the end. Bushi uh, got his version of the uh, the last ride. He went for the uh, Kamagoi, the uh, where he grabs on the arms and pulls him in for a knee. But Naito managed to spring himself up right from the ground and hit a kind of a spike DDT, which I thought was an impressive spot, especially from you know he lift himself that high when he was kneeling down on the ground. Yeah, it was. It was a was a very impressive looking move that one. Yeah, like, but uh, I was gonna say, like I said, I was a bit surprised that uh, Naito won because, like, they made a big deal of Ibushi even uh, like recently winning tales that like, he won. He had a brief run with the Never Belt and then he has the IC Belt where, but because they weren't really keen to put belts on Ibushi because he wouldn't sign, but now they revealed he wants to spend pretty much his the rest of his career in New Japan. He's finally ready. To, Sign a, a long-term deal. Yeah, I mean, he's, I've seen him a few times, and he's a tremendous wrestler as a bushi. So, if he can sign a deal, it would be great for him and New Japan because they might even be tempted to put the uh, 
IWGP title on him for a, a spell, even. Yeah, because like I know there was a lot of rumors that he wouldn't sing with Dewey in the Cruiserweight Classic, and well, depending on your opinions of Dewey and 205 Live and all that stuff, you can decide for yourself if that was a right decision or not. But I think it was uh, really bad for Dewey that they really missed it and the opportunity to get someone the caliber of Abushi. Yeah, because uh, I've I, I watched the G1, and then in retrospect, I watched the G1, um, the Cruiserweight Classic, and um, they really did sort of build Ibushi and Jack Sabre Jr. as the the two main stars of that tournament, but unfortunately, they, they were both went out in the semi-finals because uh, neither would sign deals, and as you say, it looks like the right move on their part, looking at the way the Cruiserweights have been uh, treated, but... Uh, yeah, you feel WWE lost that because they could have made had two really big stars to kick off their cruiserweight dis- uh, division if yeah. they'd have signed those two. Yeah, Whether it would have made much of a difference the way Vince treats cruiserweights, you don't know. But yeah, and like especially with that Stuart Junior, you mentioned like if he'd been around for the launch of NXT UK, he could have been a big part of that alongside the likes of Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate and recently like Joe Coffey and Walter. Yeah, he's definitely somebody who's got the pedigree to have um, beaten Pete Dunne until Walter came in. I I couldn't see anybody on that roster uh, beating Dunne, to be honest. Yeah. uh, We'll move on now. Like I said, it was kind of surprising. Nigel kind of hangs around a while, kind of almost lording the fact that he's now taken the I see belt once again the uh, fourth time that he has held that title and we'll see where he goes with that if he is able to hold that and the heavyweight belt at the same time but we move into the heavyweight title match the main event the painmaker Chris Jericho getting a shot against the remaker Okada who began his fifth reign as a WGB champion uh, back at MSG by defeating Switchblade Jay White and um, like Chris Jericho has made uh, no secret of the fact that he wanted to fight Okada and he wanted a IWGP title match and then he finally announced that uh, a few months ago back at Wrestling Don Takio after Okada made his first successful defence of his latest reign against Sanada and uh, it was there that he referred to himself as the painmaker and it seems strange that he's, even though Jericho said he was going to be uh, still doing New Japan while part of AEW because he still allowed him to that he would, after like being announced it's going to be in the match in August for the uh, to crown the first AEW champion that he would be allowed to be in a match of this this higher calibre of a match, the fact that he's been allowed an IWGP title match Yeah, and it, it really made you wonder would, would they actually let Jericho win the IWPG championship? As I said earlier on, uh, I, I did think there was a chance he would, but when um, Moxley won uh, the US title, you just you just never know. It put things up in the air a little bit. Yeah, like, and I was wondering, like, you never know, like, what would happen, like, see, like, in the, in the like grand scheme of things, in, like New Japan, and how often Jericho would be around, and what would happen with AEW if. Uh, if Jericho won, just like from that aspect alone, I was interested to see what would happen, and that part of me made me want him to win. And also, I wanted to see what would happen online because I feel that the 
part of the the hardcore New Japan like community would uh, almost burn at the idea of someone like Jericho winning the title. Yeah, <laughs> um, I do feel in time and and uh, WP uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling will. Uh, strike a deal with AEW I can see that maybe they'll compete at each other's events and yeah. we'll see um, some New Japan talent on uh, AEW um, television perhaps perhaps because uh, I know is not shy about wanting like some of the best from around the world like they've made the deals with like the AAA and uh, and WWE so they're they're very welcome of international talent and uh Apparently, the Ring of Honor deal with New Japan, the current one they're on, is up very soon. And uh, New Japan was not very happy on some of the decisions made on the Ring of Honor side of their recent collaboration back in MSG. But, uh, so, how that comes into effect, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, the idea of Jericho being in this match was very intriguing. Like, they made the point of when he won the IC title, it was even though he'd made many tours with Japan with promotions like uh, War back in the 90s and he was a, used to wrestle as a junior back in New Japan and in uh, 1997 he was in the best of Super Junior so he never got a chance to be a champion. Uh, that was, the Intercontinental was the first title he ever held as part of New Japan and uh, he'd never been able to have a, a one-on-one shot in all his career at the IWGP title so this was the first time He'd ever got a chance to name. They built it as the first, the only major title that Jericho had never held. Yeah, they were talking about his uh, WWE reigns and uh, beating Rock and Austin on the same night to be the first uh, undisputed champion as well. So, yeah, yeah they did make a, a talk of that. It's also a dream match as well. I mean, Okada versus Jericho. I mean, who doesn't want to see that? Two of the, two of the best ever. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Like when, you, when Jericho came and he made it clear that he was sticking around, like you wondered if he was going to get to face the likes of Okada or Tanahashi, and like, so yeah, he said it's a dream match in many respects. And uh, would you agree that it seemed more like uh, a Jericho style match more than a type of match that Okada would typically wrestle? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jericho stamped his authority on the match, and it he made it his sort of match, which was. Um, the best thing, I mean, uh, I think he's probably a good 15 years older than Akada. He's, he's definitely got a fair few years on him. Yeah, I think Akada's like 30, 31, I think. And uh, Jericho's 48, so <laughs> it's probably more than that. Um, nearly 20 then, perhaps. So, yeah, he, he can't go toe-to-toe in a, a straight wrestling match with Akada these days, so... I think the story of the match made sense that he's, you know, took it like he did to Naito and Omega, you know, took him, took him on the outside and attempted to put him through tables and he did his uh, DDT on the announce table that's become a staple of his uh, New Japan routine, hasn't it? Yeah, the, the typical uh, being uh, Billy and the young boys are in ring saying, stealing the, uh, the camera and giving the finger to the Japanese crowd and like, while some people would assume that the way Jericho does this meet is because he can't uh, typically go with the guys in New Japan, but I think he has shown in where he's working in AEW against Omega that he can still go, but I think the way he does these kind of matches, kind of brawling around the ring, 
uh, I think he's helping himself, like set himself apart from everything else on the card because you rarely see uh, Kenneth's type of brawl, especially in a main event uh, match in New Japan. Yeah, definitely, it gives it gives something different. I mean, as you say, making him makes him stand out. Um, I love the fact um, he'll ring the bell himself as well, and then raise yeah. his arms like he's like he's won the match. Yeah, and uh, I can't even call it the fact that Jericho wrestles the matches in this way that he said that he he said he wasn't going to allow himself to be dragged into this brawling style that Jericho has been wrestling. He, he's going to try and way he's going to beat him by simply just out wrestling him. Uh, they did have a, an interesting spot where Okada sends Jericho over the barricade and he usually that's his setup for a diving cross body and he runs and he, as he dives Jericho hits him with uh, a code breaker he catches him more so in the gut but it was still an impressive counter nonetheless yeah it looked like he perhaps mistimed it a little bit but the way Okada sold um, mm-hmm. it, it did look like it was meant to meant to happen like that so they did a good job of rescuing that if it was a if it was a blown spot but yeah. uh i think yeah. i think don i think don callis kind of way he explained it on commentary really covered for it as well explained that like how there's a lot the uh the effects that mostly that can have on the abdomen and all that yeah yeah he, he did well on commentary there in fairness, he's a good, he's a very good commentator on Callis. I do like him. I remember him from his jackal days. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he he also being from Winnipeg, he, he knows Jericho. He and Jericho go back quite a while, so he was able to really pick up Jericho like on comedy, like from we knows him because like we all know he's a constantly like as Kevin Kelly mentioned, he's multiple title reigns and he's beaten the Rock and Stone Cold, and also the way that. Uh, Don Callis spoke about him. Uh, really hyped up the fact that he was such a, a threat. Yeah, and um, Jer- Okada would go for the Rainmaker on several occasions, but Jericho seemed to have been very well scouted, as he always seemed to have a, a counter or a reversal to the to the Rainmaker clothesline, which was uh, a good story to the match. I thought, and he got um, Okada in the lion. The, the lion tamer and the walls of Jericho a couple of yeah. times as well, didn't he? Yeah, like I was going to say, like he he got the co- a few uh, code breakers, but I had a like he kicked out a one, and then there was another one they mentioned where Jericho was kind of tired after hitting it, so he wasted valuable seconds and allowed Okada to kick out when he eventually did roll over the cover. But as far as I can tell, as many times as he attempted it, I don't think Okada ever actually connected with the rainmaker. No, he didn't, as far as I can remember. He uh, ended up picking the victory with uh, a pin in the end, didn't he? Yeah, he's, he, uh, he, like you said, he would do. He kind of out-wrestled. He kind of tied, uh, stacked him up in uh, he was able to get the pin, like I said, almost out of nowhere. But that was kind of the whole point of this, this finish, that he caught Jericho by surprise. Yeah, I think they wanted, um, obviously wanted Arcada to go over, but also to keep Jericho strong so that's why it's like a, a surprise pin out of nowhere and then Jericho even though he lost was allowed to beat Okada down which you don't see very often so he really yeah. gave him quite a pummel in didn't he so even though he lost he was the one standing at the end and there was a spot where he was going to try and power bomb Okada through a table but Tanahashi hadn't seen enough jumped out of the commentary uh, table and um, made the save yeah, 
and maybe maybe sets up a future bout between uh, Jericho and Tanahashi, which is something I would uh, love to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jericho basically grabs him when he kind of spins in his own way. The fact that he still stands in his mind, he's uh, the winner. He that he never loses. So in his kind of delusional mind, he's still the best in the world, and that even though he was the one who he didn't win the championship on this occasion. Yeah, I mean, I'm loving his uh, his heel character in the New Japan, and I think he's playing a similar character in AEW at the moment. It's uh, it's really great how he's changed himself over the years and kept himself relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And I was curious because uh, I'm trying, I'm really trying to figure if Jericho May this year will be in the G1. I don't know if he's deal with AEW would allow that because, like, yeah, while they will work around the fact that he had that uh, title match with Hammond Page coming up and they gave a finish that didn't make, make either man look weak and they both look strong coming out of it. Like, there's like 10 or so different matches at least there who would have to wrestle in the the new in the G1 Climax so he couldn't probably win all of them so it'd be a case of how did they how do they get around him not being able to win the, the tournament and then also looking strong for a hangman page. Yeah, I, I don't see him being in the, the G1 that he made no sort of announcement or talk that um, that he would be like some of the others. So uh, probably, it's probably unlikely. Yeah, because that would be, I think it would be a great thing for New Japan if they were able to get, like, they've already got Moxley and Kenta and if like some people recognise Kent mainly for his WWE run, and then they also see Moxley, but they also see Jericho, I think that would be good in getting some new fans in for the G1 because like as much as it can be like really hard to keep up with the G1 because it's a month long tournament, if people are tuning in, they want to see these guys, then maybe they'll see like Zocada or some new people like G White or you know like Satsuma Junior if they haven't seen him. And then, like, they'll maybe say to stick around to see how these guys get on if they get invested enough. Yeah, definitely. Um, I still think Moxley, um, he'll bring a fair few Western eyes to the tournament, though. He's yeah. Very popular, and everyone's talking about him at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, especially after his, uh, his recent interviews with, uh, with Jericho and Wade Keller, about uh, some real frustrations amongst fans. So I think. People are following him very closely at the moment. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, made himself hot property, and it makes it all the more surprising that WWE gave him such a big send-off. Yeah. and sorry. They might be regretting that now, I was about to add. Yeah, probably. But uh, before we go in, we were going to take like 10 minutes to talk about the gym. We've mentioned it a few times, but before that, what are your thoughts on this show overall? Yeah, I thought it was uh, a good show. Um, very strong matches most of the way through. I'd say perhaps the, the tag match between uh, G.O.D. and um, Sonada and Evil is a bit of a letdown. But yeah. other than that, I, I enjoyed most of the matches, especially the final three, despite the that awful-looking spot with uh, Naito and uh, Ibushi. Yeah. So I enjoyed the main event. I've seen a lot of people moaning about it on on the Twitter, but I I like the I like the way it finished. Um, 
and uh, I, I enjoyed the match. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the main event as well. I'm, I'm really hoping that once Jericho's uh, like had his match with Hangman Page, that hopefully he Okada can wrestle again at least once more, and uh, we'll see what happens. What happens there, even if it isn't for the title, if it's just kind of a, a grudge match, then yeah, that maybe that could be interesting. But I really enjoyed the show overall. Like some of the lower card matches, like the six man tag match, I wasn't as interested in. But I don't think like that was kind of purpose. They put that on early, and then they bring in the uh, the key matches. Like you said, the match, the last three matches that we talked about, they were very good. Ishi, Tomiro Ishi versus Taichi was. Uh, surprised me with how good it was. Uh, Shingo versus uh, Kojima was a lot better than I expected. A very hard hit in that. So I think overall, yeah, it was a really good show. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Um, do you have any sort of predictions for your two finalists in the G1? I know it's early days, but any anybody you fancy? Uh, like I say, I don't. Uh, I think my winner, person I think it's going to win is probably the same as it was uh, last year. I think I thought Ibushi was going to win last year. Uh, he came really close. It was him and Tanahashi in the final and uh, unfortunately uh, Tanahashi wasn't able to get the win but I still believe that he could he win this year because I, I think him and I said Naito are very always favourites especially in the last couple of years whenever the G1 comes around. So I thought like whoever lost was more likely than the other to win. So the fact that they took the belt back off of Ibushi and put it on Naito again is uh, very telling that maybe they have bigger plans for Ibushi. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I'm going to stick my neck out and I'm going to say the two finalists will be if they're in separate blocks. Uh, JY and Naito I'm going to go and Naito to win overall. But yeah, yeah, Abushi's Abushi's is definitely a good shout as well. But that's yeah. the, they're the two I'm going for anyway. Yeah, I couldn't really speak about the uh, the finalists, but I think Abushi and uh, G White as even if it's not the fight the finals, if that was maybe one of the block finals, that could be a really good match. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the big thing is. Uh, how far do you see the likes of Moxley or Kenta getting in this tournament? I think they'll do well. Uh, they'll probably get out of a few um, losses, maybe by a, a, a. I can see the uh, Moxley definitely getting DQ'd, or maybe a maybe a time maybe a time limit draw here and there to save face a little bit. I see. I see him racking up good points, but I don't see them getting to the final. They might yeah. miss out by two or three points, perhaps. Yeah, I think of, of either of them, I think Kenta is more likely to like possibly even get as far as one of the block finals before uh, just falling short. Because if he loses in a block final and the person he loses to either just comes up short in the final or uh, wins the whole thing, then it's not really the worst thing because, like, because like you've fallen short to the person who eventually won it, it wasn't really a throwaway loss, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of hoping Moxley's in the same block as uh, Suzuki if he's. Oh. I'm assuming he'll be in it because that that could be a fair 
a fair match. Yeah, because uh, I heard a Bush, uh, sorry, Suzuki say that he wants both Moxley and Jericho in uh, in singles matches as part of New Japan, and I really hope they both happen. Uh, I think if uh, depending on what block they're in, then Suzuki and Moxley is more likely to happen sooner rather than later, and uh, maybe when Jericho comes back at some point in the future, he and uh, he and Suzuki can work something. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to say, because we have to think when AEW starts properly in the fall, most of his time will be, most of Moxley's time will be spent uh, spent at AEW. So they perhaps want to get these matches done and out of the way before they miss out. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see uh, like if Moxley does have to drop the US belt when uh, AEW starts running more regular shows once the TV deal comes in. I'm wondering like who on the card he would drop it to. Like, would he drop it back to to Juice, or would they find somebody new to take it from him? I've, well, Juice has had two runs, and I would like to see somebody else um, mm-hmm. take it from him. Perhaps somebody who would benefit from beating him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like one of my things about when I said earlier about the thing between Ibushi and Naito, where the fact that Naito won the belt back, I think means that they've got bigger plans for Ibushi. Well, I would like to see if uh, Ibushi does go to Wrestle Kingdom and win the title if he wins the tournament, and I'd like to see Naito hold on to the belt until after Wrestle Kingdom, and then maybe we can have Ibushi and Naito for both the heavyweight and IC belt, because and Naito can maybe come closer to hold in both belts, or maybe a will hold both. Yeah, that'd be interesting, uh, a title for title, but that is that is one reason I'm going for Naito to to win uh, the G1, uh, another match against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, and yeah, maybe make it title for title. Yeah, because uh, they don't really, they rarely do that, and for New Japan's belt, like they did that a few months back in MSG for like, a Ring of Honor and a New Japan title, but they've really done like two or two belts in New Japan. It's a very much a rarity. Yeah, they they don't tend to do it that often in uh, WWE, and when you when they do do it, you can more or less expect a non finish or a draw, can't you? To be fair, so it's yeah. not something that promotions do do very often. I think Warrior and Hogan's the main one that comes to mind. Yeah. Something I would like to see coming out of the G1 is, uh, is that if Naito doesn't win and he, he still has the IC belt, I think him and Kenta in a programme would be very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot of scope for some interesting matches with Kenta um, in in uh, New Japan. Okada, Tanahashi, Suzuki, even Suzuki, mm-hmm. a lot of the top stars. It'd be be great to see those those matches yeah and like i said like we we can only wait until uh the full like field is announced and then also the elf blocks are announced that allows us to see what the potential matchups could be and it gives us a clear picture of what the g1 tournament could have in store but, uh as excited as we are for the g1 it's a very hard tournament to keep also we can't really be doing shows for for each uh, night of the tournament, so we decided that once the uh, G1 finals have happened, we're kind of 
which they were going to do a, kind of a recap of the tournament, going through kind of some of their, the key matches, some of their favourite matches, and like some maybe surprises that because there was always room for somebody getting a victory that you didn't expect over like a, a, somebody who's maybe higher up on the cards than them, and give our thoughts on who made it to the finals if we were correct, and either of us were correct in our predictions of who made it to the final. Yeah, definitely that'll be uh, that's going to be a pod I'm going to be looking forward to because uh, I really that's what really got me into New Japan wrestling was the last year's G1 and I, I find it a very in, enjoyable tournament. Yeah, and especially since wrestling is going to be two and eight this year, it's year going to see if like there's any potential uh, storylines for Wrestle Kingdom that are going to be set up in in this tournament. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see, as, you, as we said before, what storylines develop and how people like Moxley and Kenta do. Yeah, because uh, is it, even if we even if we'll try our best to cover it, it's a, it's a, like I said, a month-long tournament, so we're going to try, but I have a feeling we could only, we're only be able to touch like, the tip of the iceberg in the terms of like the quality of matches that this tournament produces. Yeah, it'll just be very brief discussions on what matches we like and surprise victories. I don't think we'll be able to go into match on match analysis because it'll be like a a ten hour podcast. Yeah. It'd only be as long as the tournament itself if we had to do that. Yeah, but we will try and maybe do updates on Twitter and and what have you. Maybe the website if we if we've yeah. got it launched to keep people appraised on perhaps who's won and and what points people have got, because that can be, I find that quite hard to, to keep up with, actually, who who was scoring what. Yeah, because I believe like eight or ten people in each block, and each of them has to face each other at least once before the block finals. Yeah, they yeah they do, so, um, and it's not always easy to keep, because they do block A and then block B, it's easy to forget how many points somebody's... Uh, already amassed yeah but uh, we will try and keep up and uh, look forward to what what the G1 has in store for us and what what happens in the finals and we'll be back to hopefully cover all as best we can but uh, Carl before we go do you have anything to plug before we wrap this up yeah I'd like to plug that uh, our latest episode of Opinions of Strange where we cover the game Life is Strange the episode 3 is available now as we speak so please check that out uh, we've also got reviews of um, Double or Nothing uh, that would definitely be worth checking out and Take Over 25 that me and Scott did recently and you can find all that at um, Rogue Opinions, and we're on Twitter and um, Insta, both at Rogue underscore Opinion. And uh, you can find me at uh, Carlos underscore Fire89 on Twitter. And Scott, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Scott As Carl said, uh, we've uh, Cloud on reviews of Double Nothing and an NXT Takeover 25, which are both. Uh, very, very good. Uh, by the time you listen to this, uh, the latest episode of Keefe Court should be up, where myself, Raul, and Jimmy try to get to the bottom of what exactly was in Vince McMahon's secret lockbox 
back in 2016. Uh, and like I said, the brand you said the brands at Rogue underscore Finds on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, we've got a, a, a long back catalog that we're building at the moment of uh, podcasts of our past episodes, uh, past reviews, and the episodes of KP Port. So there's something for everyone, I think, at the moment. Yeah, definitely. We've got a good range. And I think Raul and Nathan recently did a football podcast, which will be worth checking out if you like your football. Yeah, definitely. But uh, like I say, we have, we've been going for quite a while now. We've been talking not just about the show, but a lot of aspects of a new Japan. But it's been a long one, but a, a very interesting one, I think. Yes, definitely. Uh, a lot of things did need to be touched upon. So, uh Hopefully we haven't gone on too long and you've managed to stay with us. Yeah, and uh, if you are, if you did manage to sit with us, uh, a thank you and uh, we'll hopefully see you next time for our G1 recap. Yep, see you soon. Bye. Bye.